What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Inking Out Loud. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And returning guest, his highest magnificence, Jared Livingston. <laughs> What's up, Ooh, Jared? How's it going, that's bro? That's the best one yet. No, come on. It's still that the galactic ever. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we're jumping straight into book three of Glenn Cook's Books of the South, The White Rose. Wait, Books of the North. Oh. Books of the North, yeah. Why did I write South in my intro? That's that's weird. That's a weird typo. Okay, let's go past <laughs> that anyway. Wouldn't be a Nicking Out Loud episode if Rob didn't flub somewhere in the intro, right? Drew, let's get that recap, man. What happened in The White Rose? Yeah, so it kicks off with the company under siege on the Plain of Fear, where they have been holding out uh, for years against the ladies' armies, and uh, things are changing. The lady had kind of stopped paying attention to them for a while, and uh, suddenly armies are gathering, and they are gathering under the banners of New Taken. But not all New Taken. The limper is back, and uh, scaring the crap out of the company. Meanwhile, a uh, mysterious veteran named Corby arrives in the Barrel Land, where he starts poking around and uncovering the... Uh, research of Bowman's, the wizard who unearthed the Lady and the Taken a couple hundred years ago. He sends a series of letters from the Bear Land to Croker in the Plain of Fear telling Bowman's story before trying to go in and check out what is going on inside the Barrel Land. He is captured and two creatures of the Dominators escape leaving him in their place. They are Trekker and Toad Killer Dog, and they show up on uh, in disguise on the Plane of Fear and kind of weasel their way into the company. There are some uh, minor battles. The company makes a raid on Rust, but Darling and Croker decide that the most important thing is figuring out where these letters are coming from and getting the rest of, you know, the, the end of the, uh, the story and uh, figuring out what the lady's true name is. So Croker and Tracker and Toad Killer Dog and One-Eye and Goblin head on up to the Barrel Land, where they are more or less uh, unsuccessful, although they discover that Corby is none other than Raven. <laughs> uh, as they are escaping with uh, some papers and things, they're separated. Croker is captured by the lady, but she's pretty sympathetic and she goes undercover and returns with Croker to the plane of fear, makes a deal with darling and the combined uh, kind of might of the taken and the black company go back to the uh, barrel land because uh, well, the dominators getting out and we have some fireworks there. The dominator is killed once and for all his soul, his essence and power is placed into uh, a silver spike and hammered into a tree that is the son of a god. But in the aftermath of this, the lady names Darling. Darling loses her powers, and in return, Silent breaks his vow and names the lady, thus rubbing her of her powers. And, uh, you know, we're, we're stuck at the end of the book where the company is basically decimated, Croker is elected captain, and... He's decided, you know, my my only option now is returning the annals to Kadovar because the Black Company has been destroyed. 
Mm. A lot happens in this book. <laughs> a lot happens in this book. A whole lot happens in this book. But oddly enough, I've only got like two minor style points for discussion. I have a lot about characters. I have a <laughs> lot about characters, which is a complete reversal of how I had the first episode planned out with my notes here. It was all style. And the only character I cared to discuss was Croker. And it was like one single point, maybe two single points to discuss. Now I've got two style points. <laughs> oh my god. I'm, I mean, I have 3,000 words here. 3312 I'm looking at of character discussion I want to get into. So let's get style out of the way first. All yeah, right. yeah. All right. This one took, in, in terms of style for me, at least at the beginning, it took a lot closer of a route to the first book than it did in the second. Um, in terms of like jumping around with the prose, I, I don't know how else to explain it. We get a lot of like unfamiliar elements right away. We, got, we have these, we have the Meniers, we have Wind Whales, we have walking trees and all these other creatures. Yeah. It's it's a lot more traditionally fantastical than its predecessors were. How'd you guys feel about the addition of all this extra fantasy? Did you did you enjoy it? Was it a little shocking, like it was for me? I definitely yeah. looked up uh, images, you know, art for what some of the creatures from the Plane of Fear. <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm gonna look that up like. for wind whales right now because I'm so. Because when I hear wind whale, I like think of a whale with wings. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what it is actually i'm looking at it right now i i never saw them as having wings that they they flew with like gas bladders in them like essentially wing like whale hot air balloons but then uh, they, they had these like giant tentacles hanging down that they would like, yeah they, they, they had with. ballast liquid though ballast water right that's how they picked mm -hmm. up the dominator out of the river there yeah yeah I'll tell you how <laughs> stupid my headcanon of the image of a wind whale was. I was thinking, realistically, it would have to be, like, a thousand feet tall, but it would have to be mostly empty space and just, like, a big old ring around, <laughs> right? So all the air can just, like, support it and go through, like, some sort of giant tube with fur. <laughs> That's how I was honestly thinking of them. I was like, damn, this is a weird freaking animal. Yeah, the, the plate of fear in general is just super weird. And, and I'll, I'll kind of start off by yeah. saying this much. Whenever I'm not actively reading The White Rose, and I think about The White Rose, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like my least favorite book in the series. Really? Uh, but then I read it again, and I'm like, man, what, what am I thinking? This book's so good. But mostly yeah. what it is, is that I don't love The Plane of Fear. It's really weird. It's the things that happen on it aren't the most compelling to me. But in my memory, the amount of time spent on the Plane of Fear at the beginning of the book is way, way longer than the, you know, what, like five or six chapters it actually is before they go off to Rust and before, you know, uh, they leave for the Barrel yeah. Land. Because I always forget that the first letter about Bowman's shows up, like, right at the beginning. And so we spend a lot of time shifting among these three narratives and and it's like yeah the plane of fear is my least favorite narrative but it doesn't really cover that much ground in this book i and and by the way corby uh has traditionally been my favorite of the three narratives i i just love reading those chapters about him yeah but this time around the bowman story hit me a lot harder uh and and we can get into that in uh, you know character discussion sure, sure, a yeah. further on. But but yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting how distinctly um, styled each of the three narratives were. Uh, the the voices, whether you know it's third person or first person point of view, uh, the voices are very different. 
And this is one of the things that impresses me the most about Glenn Cook, is his ability to write differently. It's, it's easy to read the first Black Company book and be like, okay, this is Glenn Cook's style. But then as you read on and you start getting like things that Croker didn't write, you start realizing, no, that's Croker's style. And Glenn Cook has the ability to write in a bunch of other different styles. Like it's, it's really neat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just actually uh, looked up a little more in detail on these, these animals, uh, the wind, <laughs> the wind whales. And I just, I just realized what picture I was, what creature I was picturing in my head for like, you know, a real world analogy. I was picturing a giant open mouth manta ray. Think of the manta rays that you see on, in, sure. in, in documentaries with a giant open mouth where they're gulping in the water, except multiply its size by about 150,000. That's what I was picturing these wind whales looking like. They were huge. I mean, they were having conversations, walking around on it. It's huge. Yeah, they're, so they're like... A thousand like feet three, long, more? Yeah. Yeah, they're like three, four football fields long, essentially. But it's funny you mentioned manta rays because <laughs> there are manta rays. There are manta rays on the plane. Really? Yeah. Did I not notice that? Like, it's kind of like an ocean except a desert. Yeah, it's it's like super inverted. Yeah, yeah, Rob, they're, they always accompany the wind whales. They're flying. They like shoot lightning bolts all the time. They're always harassing. Those are manta rays? Yeah, they're called well, mantas. What are the... <laughs> okay, that's probably why it was because I was sitting there trying to picture the the, the freaking the whale. I'm just like I don't I don't see this whale and the word ma like manta or manta is there in, in my peripheral vision all the time. I think it was an associative thing. My brain goes weird places sometimes, man. Oh yeah. my goodness. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, style points though going forward, Jared. Anything about style you want to discuss? I mean, I liked. As far as the plane of fear goes, I liked some of the comic relief with Croker and the men years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell, the, the one is just thing. like super sarcastic like with him. Always yeah. pissing like I, Croker off. I like yeah. that well, he kind of reflects, like Croker is kind of reflecting some of my thoughts when I'm reading it. Like, oh man, talking rocks. This is really, this is really yeah. cheesy. I don't know. And yeah. then Croker yeah. like says the same thing. Yes, yeah. yeah, for me, that was hell of a tune they played. I was like, yep, mm -hmm. nope, I'm right there with you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, Cook is cranking forward, uh, like, the clock in this narrative, too. Like, even with the prose itself. In Chapter 8, I noticed this from Corby's point of view. Uh, Cook manages to pass over, like, an entire year in four paragraphs. And he yeah. describes the seasons and the changes they bring, watching as the floods begin. We got a whole year and four paragraphs there. I thought that was really ambitious. Yeah, it's it's kind of a sign of how Cook writes. Like, if he thinks it's not necessary for the story, he's exactly. not going to spend any time on it. Like, mm. it, it, you know. <laughs> I mean, just look at where we start. Wasn't it two years later or something from the yeah. end of Shadows Linger? Oh, this is it's, what six years? I, think. It, I believe it's oh, six, six years? years. Yeah, mm. it's about the same length of time as between Black Company and Shadows Linger, because the mm. company's been on the run for a while, and then they hole up in the plane of fear. They're under siege. Then the lady kind of loses interest, and then regains interest. Yeah, it it's it's not exactly the same between book, obviously, because it would, it would just be a little lame. But it's it's about five years average if you average it up between the books, because at the very end, Raven has this moment where he stands up. And Croker tells him, sit down. You have, you like, 15 years ago, you left. Like, what are you doing? Don't even try this yeah, shit yeah. right now. 
So he's, yep. he gives an exact time, 15 years from like the start of the narrative or something like that. So yeah, about five years on an average per book, which is a lot of time, 15 years between three books. Mm-hmm. Wow, when you think of something like The Wheel of Time was entirety in, like, what, a two-year period? Four, 14 books in about two and a half, two yeah. and three quarters years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm ready to start talking characters, though, if you guys have no other style points. I don't know how much of a style thing it is, but I enjoyed kind of getting some of the characters from a viewpoint of the company being in exile more than being on the front lines. Yeah, you know, and like the the ladies' number one troop, they're in exile now, and it's interesting to see how some of the different characters react to that. Yeah, and and the company has to work differently because they're they're no longer this official military unit. They're they really are like a bunch of brigands now. I think there's the one scene in um in the Barrowland, I think, or no, no, it's in uh it's when Croker's in captivity. Where, like, the colonel in the tower is, like, sweet that he doesn't say sir. Yeah. And, and sweet he's, like, not, not big on decorum, are you guys? And Croker's like, we were, but, you know, when, when you got, like, a bunch of your best buddies out in the <laughs> desert for years, that kind of goes by the wayside. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, like, they're much less official now. And they have to deal with this notoriety they've found themselves with because... One, I was recognized by Sweet. I think it was Sweet that recognized him and said, huh, yeah. you're, uh, that's a little weird. You're a black man and you're old, huh? And then right away, Croker's thinking, uh-oh. Oh, yeah. no, there's not a lot of those. Not a lot and, of black yeah, men. He, he not tells, a whole black man. tells he's Goblin. He's like, oh, <laughs> tells Goblin. He's like, all right, guys, game's up. We got we to gotta wrap this up here. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's such a great scene. I can't wait to talk about that, too. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Croker? <laughs> starting on Croker? Assume we sure. start Croker, right? Sure. Let's do it. Okay, so he's getting up there in his years now, isn't he? he is. He's not like an old geezer yet, but you he's know, like we got mid late forties now. I thought he was like right on fifty, but yeah, he's yeah. definitely right. He's probably a couple years before that. Uh, I loved one of yeah. these lines we got from him right out of the gate, though. At the beginning, I grabbed my bow and a leather choirs. I am too ancient for hand to hand. I'd rather stand <laughs> off and plink if I have to fight at all. I, like, <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. Such a croaker like <laughs> line. Yeah, it yeah. His like, it, Jared, you brought up his occasional snide remarks to himself when these meneers kept repeating, "There are strangers on the plane," and it just end up surrounding him like without him noticing, and then just saying it again, "There are strangers on the plane." Crocus <laughs> thinking hell of a tune these guys are playing, and then like, yeah. <laughs> even 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 later during this moment of fragility on the part of the lady, again, I'm still talking about his like snide remarks here, or just his little cynical uh, side notes. The lady speaks up at one point in his presence when they're talking in private, and she says, when I was a child, my sisters and I had a teacher. And then Croker goes, did I pay attention? You bet your sweet ass I did. I was yeah, yeah. ears from my toenails to the top of my pointy head. <laughs> yeah. So self-aware, but he's got a gift of words. It's colorful language, my man Croker. I liked it. Yeah, the, the turns like of it. phrase are just wonderful. Phrase, like, yeah. He's definitely the writer of the group. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and this is something that not just in the Black Company, and but across all of the Glenn Cook stuff I've read, like, the guy just comes up with the most ridiculous ways to say things. And it's it's a very specific sense of humor that he has. And if you can enjoy that kind of stuff, like, 
the the two shining examples are really the black company and the the garrett pi files where where they're they're constantly just like they're so colorful in in how they describe situations and i love it hmm. <laughs> sweet anything else about croaker before i move on to mm, the lady mm -hmm. oh lots about croaker yeah Go so for it, man one of the things that i love about uh the character development in this book and maybe this is a good transition to the lady afterward is we're seeing a different side of croaker uh Perfect especially transition. in the second half of the book um it's we get these little hints throughout the first two books like croaker writes the romances and and like the guys in the company make fun of him and call the lady his girlfriend and stuff like that and he says that he's like you know a secret romantic but we really see it come out in this book we we see how the lady showing vulnerability to him opens up a totally new side of croaker where where we saw croaker at the end of shadows linger where he's like hardened to the lady because he's like you betrayed us i'm i'm not you know i'm not on board with you you're you're evil like i i'll help you take out the the black castles because the dominator's the worst evil but you are evil i'm i'm gone and then the moment he really gets to know the lady suddenly all that's out the window because he's such a romantic like he's he's a sucker you know <laughs> how can you blame him i mean like she's so no, mega hot apparently yeah. but it's not even like her attractiveness that does it for him no i disagree yeah. you can blame him this is like 60 percent joke <laughs> it, it's like the times where where he says things like you know uh, i hate it when they go human on you yes you know? Where where he's like, okay, you're you're not actually this black-hearted evil empress that I thought you were. That that like tiny ray of light that I always assumed was somewhere in the background, that's not so much in the background. That's like a real part of you. And and that's when he starts, you know, shifting his mindset toward her. And then the fact that she agrees to go into the null and put herself completely within his power, he's like Oh yeah, she's genuine. She means this. This isn't her playing a game, you know. Hmm. I, I don't still know. Had, I, I had that feeling uh... at the end of Shadows Linger. I think when she was telling him, "I want you to write everything honestly." What was that Shadows Linger? It's Black Company. What am I saying? Uh, I mean, yeah. she she says it in both. Um, she probably does. Uh, when she just keeps telling she... him, yeah, "Don't have to lie." Write what happens. Yeah. For me, that was like, okay, all right. She's I mean, legit. are we forgetting that she massacred? A bunch of soldiers at the end of black company oh no we're, we're not forgetting this at all but like she the more we find out about what happened in the first book the more it's like she was fighting the dominator the rebels were being manipulated by the dominator the taken were being manipulated by the dominator like and and here we see her literally giving up her life being prepared to die or in her mind worse than die losing her powers to take out the dominator that that it's it wasn't about her ruling it was all about keeping this evil in the ground or in this you know worst case scenario destroying it and sacrificing herself in the process i mean i if she's a new person why does she name darling at the end <laughs> that's that's the I, I, well, stipulation I, I have yeah uh we're we're like shifted fully to the lady from Croker now. Right, well, um, yeah, we were. We haven't actually officially done that yet, had we? No, no I mean it's it just, just kind of happened organically. I like it. 
it's it's tough to discuss one or the other without you know <laughs> yeah i just i have i have trouble buying like Croker seeing her as human suddenly because she's still this evil lady. Like I don't, I don't get it. So I don't see think she's much. evil. Like she, she definitely has a, a vindictive streak to her, and she does have a desire for power. But she ultimately, like when when push came to shove, she chose the more altruistic route rather than the selfish route. Isn't she motivated to do this just because of the dominator? Like, take him out of the equation, and she's still evil. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, like, like she. I mean, she's a complicated character. I'm not saying she's just like a purely good person, but, but that she is a better person than Croker gave her credit for in the first two books. Like, yeah, if the dominator just didn't exist, I'm sure she would have stayed empress and and ruled over but you know it's it's one of those situations where you know to, to lightly touch on the wheel of time like the shanshan where there's a lot of good that her empire brings when we see them you know talk about the areas that are under her control they're prospering you know there's there's peace people can travel freely without fear of you know brigands or whatever it's it's when people rebel against her or resist her expansionism that like she gets really like violent in in retaliation and it's the same thing you know kind of the shan chan uh but she doesn't even have the slavery thing going on so <laughs> before we jump off of croaker completely sure what mm -hmm. do we think about him being named as the new captain at the end totally liked it i i liked it too uh i thought it was the natural step um, I kind of wish we could have gotten more of the lieutenant, but yeah. you know, because the the few times we see him in action, he's a boss. Uh, but we never really got to know him that well, so I wish we could have gotten more of that. But, uh, you know, I I like Croker being picked as the captain. Well, I I brought it up in I think it was in the last episode where where Croker was was taking charge. I think it was on yeah when when he was organizing the uh, the hit on Limper, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. Um, he was, he was, I'd noticed it at that point. He was definitely taking charge and issuing orders and he was very, very capable. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, he's, he's a long, long time soldier at that point, several decades in, uh, but it, it still felt like the right choice for somebody who is the analyst, for somebody who is our main character and, and seeing these authority figures kind of fall heroically one at a time and knowing how capable Croker was in that situation. I kind of just felt like it was just a matter of time. It might've been a little sooner than I thought. I would have probably guessed it was going to happen later in the series, but I I still figured it was going to happen eventually. I think may not have been certain, mm -hmm. but I had the inkling. And it it makes sense. I mean, to the point Rob you brought up, Croker's getting old. He's he's yeah. not a frontline soldier anymore. You know, or even he's a boomer like, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, and it kind of makes sense that he you know he's always been this pseudo officer in the company, so he's got the the natural authority as far as the rest of the soldiers are concerned. Um, are the yeah. upcoming books in the series chronologically after white rose? Uh, yes. So the only book that is not chronologically after white rose is port of shadows, which is uh, the most recently published book. It takes place between uh, 
the Black Company and Shadows Linger. But there's some weirdness going on there. And for that reason, if we read it, we'll read it after Soldiers Live. After the end of the series. Okay. Okay. Scared me there for a second. I thought you were about to say some sort of Stover, <laughs> Kane's Law kind of weirdness when you were talking about time. I was it like, takes uh -oh. place before, during, and after the White Rose. No. Yeah. <laughs> it, it happened and it unhappened. Right. It's like, oh my god. Make up your freaking mind. Well, um, well. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, uh, but, but no, the, so, I mean, we're reading the Silver Spike next. And yep. now you guys know what the Silver Spike is. So, you know. There, oh, there. my God. I didn't even put that together until now. Yeah. How stupid am I? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Once I figured that out, I was like, well, shit. <laughs> I mean, recall the final lines of this book where yes. a three-legged beast comes out of the darkness and starts, starts digging. scratching at the ground. And the tree flings a change storm at him, and the dog runs away. But the dog will return night after. Can night. someone just deal yeah, with that damn dog? Like, I know. yeah, I know. I was I was feeling a lot of that same too. But answer this for me, then. Why is he digging at the ground? The silver spike is in the tree, right? Read and find out, mother. Okay, all right, fair enough. Fair enough. It's under the ground. Uh, there, you you have the information right now. You just don't know it. Oh, oh. Oh, is this, oh, hey, is this related? okay, so one of my predictions might come in, in in important later. Okay, good to know. Okay, okay. Okay, I'll hold my thoughts on that. Yeah, 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 because we're still on characters. Do we have anything, <laughs> yeah, the... do we have anything more about the lady? <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus Christ, you have, I mean, I didn't even start into her properly, like, yeah, I have... Oh, good, 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 good. Six, <laughs> seven points on the lady I want to discuss. Um, Wonderful. You've already covered, I think, a good portion of it And when you're talking about her being a completely different character in this book. At least you're talking about Croker at that time, seeing a different part of him. But as you said, you know, they go hand in hand, pun not intended for the most part, um, <laughs> with her, you know, with her increasingly expressed humanity. I loved some of her, her like, okay, let's not screw around. Let's stop being coy. You know something, I need to know it too. That kind of no-nonsense attitude. A stellar mm -hmm. example of this is during one of their meetings in the in charm they being croker and the lady of course she asks him how well did your translations go to which croker tries playing dumb he's like what but she calls him on it immediately <laughs> the documents you found in the forest of cloud gave to my late sister soulcaster took from her again gave your friend raven took from him in turn the papers you thought <laughs> would give you the tool of victory he's like oh those documents <laughs> that was brilliant brilliant oh there, there's like, some just like, their repartee is wonderful like mm. They, they they have that ability to like talk around each other and then at certain moments just cut to the heart of it and and Croker usually finds a way to to crack a joke in the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot like this one on one time that we're seeing them get to spend together more now, uh, kind of heartwarming, blatantly heartwarming actually in a couple areas. Oh, oh, very points. much so. Yeah, I I started to wonder around the time that she was showing Croker how to operate the heavy carpet at yeah. altitude. I'm thinking to myself, like, why am I growing to like the lady? Is it because she's, like, clearly <laughs> so hot? Or is it part of her capability starting to edge in the center stage as well? Like, she had, she legitimately seemed to have fun teaching him how to use those levers and steering that thing around. Yeah, she's, like, laughing, laughing at, at, at him when he's... Yeah, like, they're flying. <laughs> and Croker's, like, he, he doesn't know what they're up to yet. He's like, what are we doing? I imagine they're shouting over wind at this point. The lady just goes, for the hell of it. For the sheer hell of it. It's so yeah. you can write about it. Croker's like, I'll fake it. And she just laughs. 
It was fun. And then, and then fun. in the battle, when, when Croker, like, messes up and they almost crash into the wind whale, and then the lady him. and the other dude just, like, glare at him, and he's like, I, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. It won't happen again. <laughs> How about the, the mystery of her name? How did you, like, were you surprised about the actual reveal? Jared? Uh, No. <laughs> So, so before the battle went down, Jared, which name would you have guessed it was? I mean, any one of them. I don't know. You didn't, like, settle on one? No. Okay. Because I, I absolutely I remember... did. I, I settled on what turned out to be the right one, thank God. I feel a little better about myself about that one. Um, like, at first, okay, sorry, were you about to jump in on that? I'm trying to decide, like... Because there, there's, there's some real wonkiness to the whole Senjak sisters situation. Because any way you cut it, there are inconsistencies. Yep. Uh, I, I can't, I can't like go into too much detail because there's more stuff that'll get explored later on. But uh, the fact that like we have this genealogy and we have the list of all their husbands and then one of them didn't get married hmm. and then oh, oh my gosh now i can say this. so so we see the dominator attempt to name the lady right the dominator the is Linger, the one uh and uh yeah yeah oh Shadow that's right yeah. yeah and then we see bowman's try the same name they both try ardath and oh, then was... we see uh, and then we see um, the Dominator try again at the end of okay. the White Rose. Okay. Now, here's the key. The Dominator is the one who took all of the ten. He knew their names. He knew all of the names of the ten, right? Yeah, I assume so. Presumably. Well, then again, I mean... The, the lady just seemed to make new taken willy-nilly whenever she felt like it. Did she know their real names before she did so? Uh, she Whisper? did. Whisper? She, she got Whisper's true name. Yeah. Oh. Must have missed that. Okay. Wait, quick question. Uh-huh. Just to be absolutely clear, true name, is it your birth name? Yes, I believe that is the case. Okay. I believe that is the case. Now, the Dominator tries two different names on the lady. He tries Ardath, and he tries Silith. We know Dorotea is the name that works, right? Yep. Now, he took Soulcatcher, so he would have known Soulcatcher's name. So thus, it must be Credence, right? That's how Croker figured it, right? That's how Croker was thinking? That's where he was leaning towards Credence? Yeah. Uh, well, well, at first, at least, there's, there's some, there's some wonkiness there, like, because Croker didn't oh, have bet. all the information. He didn't know Dorotea was the lady's name. He but just he knew, know. he just knew one of them was, was, uh, Soulcatcher, and he, like, came up with his thing, and, and it came down to, like, between, um, he thought it was between Silith and Credence. He yeah. thought Dorotea was out. Yeah, and yeah. Which is what uh, made me go, thought, oh, it's gotta be here. He thought Soulcatcher was Dorotea, I believe. Um, and then, and yeah. But so, like, keep that in mind. 
for later in the series, if you can remember it. Because mm. I think there's an inconsistency there. You know, on the subject of her name, I know this is, this is getting pretty old of me to bring it up all the time, but I totally called which one it's going to be. I knew it was not going to be Ardath. I figured that right away. I kind well, of well, obviously it, it wasn't. It yeah, didn't yeah. work. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to continue. Yeah, I'm going to continue though. Like I, I, I never really took credence seriously either. The irony of which is not lost on me. Um, when I heard <laughs> the youngest sister being a bit of an outcast, I think she was described as a bit of a, a, a just a bit different. Or I'm not 100 percent sure on this one though. But I saw her name as she was the youngest sister, uh, and I immediately went to myself. Oh, okay. Well, that's got to be the one, then. It was like this particular moment halfway through Shorefall, obviously, I'm not going to give any spoilers, by Robert Jackson Bennett. Um, without going into any detail, for anyone, anyone that listens to our episode on that book, there's another moment where I was immediately on board with the whole, oh, well, no, that's not the real hand you're going to show. It's the other one that you just dismissed. Like, why dismiss it so deliberately? For, that, for me, that was a huge, huge red flag. As soon as... Croker was just like, oh, it can't be that one. I was like, all right, I know which one it is. And it turned out to be true. Yeah. Why doesn't the Dominator just, like, name all of them in quick succession? Do they have to be within hearing distance? Uh, like, and there's also, like, a ritual that they talk about that you kind of have to do before they yeah, the ritual's complete. To be fully, right? Yeah, for it to be so you fully can't just, like You can't just yell off the names quickly. Not I like mean, a list. <laughs> Get like he, an auctioneer to go. He didn't have a whole dominator. lot of time. He was. I'm envisioning Dominator in an auctioneer voice. <laughs> <laughs> Going in order, that'd be great. <laughs> might might also be a little tough for him to talk after being, you know, buried beneath the earth for uh, whatever 800 years. Uh, he sound. He seemed to <laughs> shout just fine. <laughs> mm. uh, but I don't know. Like yeah. the whole name, the whole name thing. Like. Eh. It didn't interest me that much, to be honest, because I knew we'd find out eventually. I mean... Did you expect, uh, at the end there, did you expect the lady to name Darling? No, I did not. No. And I'm so confused as to how We're given she... given zero info. Out... Yeah, I, I think Rob... Sorry, Rob was about to say, we have no idea how she figures that out. Oh, shit. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> I oh, I God. I always thought it was just like the moment the lady knew who or what Darling was, she put all the resources of the Empire to figuring out what her name was. And that like but, she probably hunted down every single living person remaining from that village from the Black Company and was like, who who was this? Who was this? Until mm. she got an answer. Yeah, this uh, is... I mean, we, we get a little bit of a, a taste of what she can do, what kind of resources she has when they're in the barrel land and she reads Bowman's story and within like a day she's got taken flying all over the place and one of them shows up with the stone and one of them like tra tracks the whole like line of of uh, Bowman's wife and like all this stuff, you know, like she, when she puts her mind to something and she uses yeah. all of her resources, she can get answers. That's part of why, why I was like... You know, finding her so hot. She's she's capable. She's tough. <laughs> yeah, she she's smart. I like intelligence. Like she's mm -hmm. she's witty. She's clever. I like it. But this is a great jumping off point, I think, for Darling, because she's literally my next character. Unless you guys have anything else about the lady you want to throw in there. I think nope. I'm done. Other other than just saying, uh, how adorable is is their date? Oh, the picnic? In the, in the gardens. The, it, oh, well, I was going to say in the gardens at Opal that they have this, like, okay. this date yeah, yeah. planned. 
at the end there. Oh, you mean the one that's that's forthcoming? Yeah. Okay. I'm not sold on her. Sorry. What am I saying? No. Hmm. Nope. See, I made a total. I I made a complete turnaround. If you'd asked me that same thing at the end of Shadows Lingard, I'd be like, Yeah, no, she's hot, but she's gotta go. She's not good. <laughs> not a good person. But I I really I really came to like her as a character in this one because she didn't really commit too many atrocities in this one, and we saw mm-hmm. a whole other vulnerable side of her that was just adorable. It's adorable. Not, she's so she's not so lonely. People, not that people can't turn things around and be forgiven, but some of the things she's done are pretty awful. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue that. Okay, darling, darling, darling. All right, she was um. A little all over the place here. I do, I did like seeing her evolve into the confident, capable leader that we knew she was going to be. I was a little shocked and and a little scandalized at first by her confession that she was starting to develop, like, affection for Raven. I thought about it a bit, decided it didn't bother me. But there's another moment, and I don't know, guys, if this was just me. But when Croker first returns to the Rebel Hole with Ardath in tow mm-hmm. he specifically notes that darling a holds on to the hug just a tad longer than is proper b looks at ardath and i quote with a hint of jealousy and c stops croker in private as he's leaving her presence and asks what is she and he's like oh, he's thinking to himself what do i do i don't want to lie so he just says just a woman she goes not a special woman special friend so I, I don't know. Like I was left after that scene feeling pretty. Like I feel I felt bad for her. I felt sorry for her. But... And then of note, when he says, you know, just a woman, and and she says, not a special woman. He's like, you know, just a woman. And she goes, okay, send Silent in now. Tell Silent he can come in. Uh, there, there's an interesting dynamic going on with the men around Darling, where, uh, I mean, she definitely has like daddy issues with Raven. Like, that's totally a thing. Sure, yeah. That she's, like, slowly kind of getting over. Um, but I think there's a little bit of a situation where she has grown into command in such a way that she doesn't know how to properly, like, develop a relationship with men, and she feels this, like, ownership and almost uses men. And that's why there's this jealousy factor with Croker. I don't think she's romantically really, like, involved. I mean, not involved, but interested in Croker. But there's that, like, she feels this sense of ownership over him. And seeing him with another woman, she's like, hmm, that's weird. And then the way she uses Silent in this book, where, like, there, there are pretty clear hints that there's some kind of relationship going on special relationship going on between them but then at the end of the book croker's like yeah silent is in love with her but she doesn't love him the same way i never got the impression that she came close to liking him the same way but she uses silent as like right uh like an emotional yeah like an emotional crutch in a lot of ways and so there's like there's some real damage in the way Darling developed through her life, and that comes out in how she handles her relationships with men. How much of it do you think is because she grows up as the only female 
among this yeah. company of all men. Well, she she even tells that to Croker. Mm-hmm. She says, Raven is really... Wait a minute, what am I going to say? Raven is the only man I got to know. Never mind. I, you're talking about women around. I, I just... Yeah. yeah, sorry. I just jumped on the wrong, <laughs> the wrong leg there. Uh, I, I think there is some of that in there. I think part of it is also the fact that Raven raised her. <laughs> Raven was not a good dad, put it no. that way. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, he never has been, from what we gather at this point. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, so, but you know, then we got to her confession, like that, that confession, that scene itself, the full conversation she had with Croker. That was mm-hmm. that was some incredibly powerful writing, and at, at that point, I was like, oh my god, I think I'm falling in love with Darling. What is happening? Like, <laughs> Cook is. Cook is really, really good at humanizing a character unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I thought it was really, really well done. I, I, that scene for me was one of the best in the book, hands down. Maybe the best. When they were talking in the Blue Willy, after, like, when, when Croker's talking to her up in the Barrel Land? I'm not sure where they were, but it was one when, when she was explaining. Actually, I, I've got, I got the quote, the quote here because it's my favorite scene in the book. I was going to admit that later. But uh, <laughs> she... Uh, I think she it's was, the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, she just she just confesses and she tells him at the very end, you know, I cry for a, a little girl's dreams that are lost, you know, that kind of thing. She was yeah, 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 pouring her heart out to him and, uh, and confessing that she was, you know, she had <laughs> started to develop feelings for Raven. And I just ah, that was it was hard. I was I went into that a little bit like whoa, 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 this is a little. But then by the end, I was it like, got oh, heavy. Poor thing. <laughs> like got real I just heavy. Real to give her fast. a hug. That poor thing. You know, yeah. Oh, I was not expecting that kind of vulnerability out of both the lady and the white rose in this book. That was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, that's I the think, end of my points for Darling. Uh, I I think Darling and and Lady to a lesser extent, but like in these books of the North, um, they both kind of stand as examples of how Glenn Cook was subverting fantasy standards at the time and how the two people with like the most power the most in charge are women Mm -hmm. in a fantasy series written in the 80s yeah yeah and and one is a disabled woman yeah uh there there's there's a willingness for him to explore female characters in a book in a military fantasy book you know, from a time when fantasy was dominated by men, male voices, and male characters, you know? So I, I found that really, uh, you know, a, a really bold choice for him to make, and I think he pulled it off really well. I do yeah. appreciate the ability of Darling and the lady to kind of pivot from their problems between each other to focus on the dominator. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. tunnel vision on each other, and they're just like, "Okay, hold on." Uh, that one moment when the lady t- like tells Croker, "I'm gonna meet with the White Rose," I was there holding my phone in bed, going, "Oh, damn! Oh, this is this is what to eleven right away." I I didn't even concede to that happening yet. I was like, "Uh oh, yeah, this is gonna be interesting." But it's it is right, absolutely. It is great to see that they can both kind of agree that there is a bigger problem to tackle than each other. At the moment. So, you know. For sure. Speaks yeah. volumes for both of their characters. How old mm-hmm. is Darlene in this book? 25? Yeah, she's, she's like mid-20s. mid-20s. She's, 
she's definitely mid twenties. I think she's twenty five. Like I'm like ninety nine percent that she's mid twenties. Because she was like late teens in Shadows Linger. No, but she's like fourteen, wasn't she? In oh, Shadows no, it's not been eleven no, years. Never. What am I saying? Never mind. My my head, my math doesn't work out. Yeah. My head cannon. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she would have been like seventeen or eighteen back then. At that point. Yeah, maybe I, even I twenty. Think... I think she was like eighteen or nineteen, and then oh. and we have like six or seven years between Shadows Linger and. Ugh. Why the uh, hell did White Rose. did Shed use the term diddling when he was talking about her? Then that was that. Oh, I don't know. I remember being far more like it's still a disgusting, creepy thought, but I thought she was like vastly underage at that point too. I was like disgusted by that. No, no, I, I, uh, she was definitely late teens. Oh, and then I mean, uh, Lisa, Lisa Balk was also about that age. She was like 17, 18 years old. Really? I thought Lisa was like in her 30s. Okay, well, it's a different character. Doesn't matter. No, yeah, no. <laughs> Lisa was a teenager. <laughs> she's, she's a, she's yeah. a young woman. Okay. Um, so because I have a question, Go for because it. Darlene was named, I, mm -hmm. I guess it's a question about how naming works. Is it that she no longer has her powers or that they just. Right aren't going to work against the lady. No, she's... She does not have the null anymore. There's no null. And so, presumably then, it's the same for the lady as well. Since she was you know. named, she has no power. That is correct. And she deserves it. does not have magic. Looks good on her. So how does it, how does it work with the Taken, then? I mean, are they granted their powers after being named, or are they just never named? Well, they get their powers from the. I think at one point the lady takes their powers back, right? Because she did. She had so. Them are you talking about place? the Taken at the end of this book, like, like how the Taken she... all like crash and burn when she's named? No, I'm just saying, like, in the scope of how naming works, and that when you're named, you lose your powers. Oh, okay. So yeah, when she so... gets new Taken, is she naming them and then like re-granting powers to them? No. So there's. Because there's this ritual around the naming. We see uh, Bowmans in, in this book try to name the lady in the Barrel Land. But he doesn't do the ritual. He just says her name to gain power over her. So if you don't do the ritual, but you know somebody's true name and name them, they basically they can't harm you. You gain control over them. And their magical powers. And so that's the aspect of, like, the taking that the lady's doing there. And then... But what we see at the end of this book is they have actually lost their powers now. They've all died. So what she did with all the I mean, new Lady taken, and Darling have lost oh, their yes. powers. Yeah, yeah, they have lost their powers. But the, all the taken, all the new taken are dead. Because when the lady did her, like, new version of taking, she, like, wove in a... Uh, like a death trap spell to it, where if Dead she lost her, yeah, yeah, like okay, sort of, yeah, uh, where if she lost her powers or if she died, they all die because that she didn't wise. want them. She was so fed up with them, like uh, scheming behind her back and like trying to supplant her. She was like, "All right, look, no, no more excuses. If you do this, you're dead." <laughs> My way or the highway. Yeah, exactly. With, and and I think that, that happens with, like, Scorn and Blister. Um, when they try to ambush, uh, they, you know, during the ruckus around Old Father Tree, and the two Taken come in and try to, like, try to kill the yeah. lady. And then they, <laughs> she goes out into the coral and finds where they crashed, and she just, she just straight up kills them. <laughs> She's like, I know their names. 
they're 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 dead. Like, <laughs> I'm interested to see moving forward how Darling and the lady progress. I mean, their entire yep. lives have been defined by these ability these magical abilities that they have. Indeed. Yeah, like Darling is exposed <laughs> and the lady is impotent. How are they gonna <laughs> how are yep. they gonna deal? We're we're gonna see that like you know, obviously, we kind of, at the end of this book, we have two different groups, so to speak. You know, we have the Darling group, and we have the the Croker and Lady group. And uh, and the Silver Spike, I'll tell you now, the Silver Spike follows the Darling, Raven, Silent group. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right on. I'm cool with that. So, I'm really so, cool with that. <laughs> yeah, and then and then their, their thing kind of wraps up the Books of the North, and then the Books of the South start with Croker and the Lady and... Goblin and One Eye and Mergen, um, basically where this book ends off, it it goes back to them and follows them going south on their new journey to bring the Annals to Cadavar. Yes, but we won't get to that till probably next year since we have all of this Cosmere to get through. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, Raven, we talk about Raven. We just mentioned Raven. Yeah. Uh, well, first How of all, off were you? <laughs> Pissed off was I. First of all, I feel validated in, in having no doubt that he was still around. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That's, okay. that's my first point is I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I wrote down like 10 times. I'd like. Uh, uh, at Red. what point did you put it together that Raven was oh, Corby? Hmm. Not early on. How, how good are your linguistics? Yeah. Because Corby, Corby is like another word for a Raven. <laughs> Is it like cor- Corvine? Shit, I should have wrote that one down for a yeah, word. Doesn't Croker like go through the <laughs> yeah different versions? Like yeah, when when he when he realizes it, he's like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. one for me uh, that I picked up on pretty pretty early the first time I read this book. Where it, the, it wasn't like the first chapter with Corby, I was like, oh, like I wonder who this dude is, but then like. When, once he started poking around at things, I was like, oh, Corby, this is freaking Raven. Like, uh, you know. <laughs> I had never heard Corby before, so. Neither. Neither yeah. have I. Jared, you and I are right there in the same boat, man. I don't know. I'm not even sure if I did realize it. This is like two days ago at this point, middle of the night. I don't think, I, I think I just put it together when, when, when Raven's name came up for the first time, when Croker was realizing it. I was like, oh, 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 no. Yeah. I felt so dumb. Corby, yeah, I'd be interested to go one. back and reread the Corby passages, knowing yep. who he is. There are, yeah, there are a couple hints. of points that are like some pretty big hints mm. that, uh, like, in retrospect, you're like, oh, you know, yeah. like, like Mistborn esque things. Really, where, where like you, the author you just thumbing it, their you're just nose like, oh my you. gosh, how did I not see that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> hidden in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 like I said though, I wrote it down as soon as I got to that point. I said, I knew it, 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 I knew it. Raven's alive, but comatose for the vast majority of this book. Well, not yeah. technically comatose, but pretty just impotent for the for the bit that he was around for too. And I said, good on him. Fuck that guy. I don't like Raven anymore. I really don't. Yeah, he really has extremely poor judgment. <laughs> oh yeah, he's super selfish. Like he, he, he has just such a like skewed morality, <laughs> mm. where where like at certain points 
he recognizes things that he should probably do that would be morally right for him to do, but whenever it's personal for him, utterly selfish. Utterly selfish. Yeah. I, I, I used to like Raven. In the first book, I liked Raven, even though he was a bit disturbing. But after we've had a little bit more revealed about his past, especially in this book, my reasons for liking him drop just to the superficials. He kicks yeah. lots of ass. But as, you know, as a father, and as a you know potential romance or desired romance, at least on Dar a Darling's part, he sucks ass. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with Darling? Like, okay, yeah, you, okay, for, let's get the obvious out of the way. You've known her since she was a little girl. That's a little, little weird. But honestly, if there was any weirdness about their former circumstances getting in the way of that kind of romance, you would think those misgivings would have been on Darling's part, not on Raven's. See, right? like, for, uh, I don't know, for me, I think it makes more sense for Darling to be into Raven than for Raven to be into Darling. Like, I yeah, think it's I super creepy Just because of the complete that Raven lack of any father for has yeah. the hots for Darling. Like, this is a girl he raised from... He doesn't like, have the hots for her. What are you talking about? Oh, uh, yeah, he does. What? Why would he... Oh, yeah. Where did I miss that? He turned her down, like, so many times, from what I understand, right? He was terrified. Oh, back, back in the day, yeah. But, like, he... The only reason he turned her down was because, A, she was young. She was too young at the time. And, B, because he was Good afraid of commitment. But, but now, like at the end of this book, his whole thing is like trying to prove to her, no, I've changed, I'm worthy, and let's get together now. And she's really, like, oh I, hell I, no! I yeah. totally read that as 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 him trying just trying to butt in between her and Silent as a protective father figure again, the way he was doing with with Croker at the end of the. Of course, Croker didn't feel anything for her, but just being overprotective father, very like overprotective figure. Like I thought that's what it was, but no. then again, you're right. There is oh, that no. whole argument with the sign language and she's taught she's complaining about being treated like a freaking trophy and that she like these men around her yep. just not giving her any you know a semblance of a choice it's like come on guys <laughs> yeah there, okay there's there's one line near the end i i don't remember where exactly it is but uh croaker is talking about silent and raven and how they're like hovering around darling and he says like one of them uh silent he's like he's one who who has feelings that will never be reciprocated yeah. and then raven is the other one who's like screwed it up too many times and and like that it's gonna that have to work has sailed to earn her know. no he says he's like she makes it clear that he's just he's not out of the deal yet but he's gonna have to really work hard to earn her trust and that's why he's yeah yeah so hilariously that. impotent at the end but but this this was Croker's interpretation of it. Oh okay okay okay. Yeah. So why did he leave her in the first place? That's, again, I'm still so confused. If Raven he had the hot for one, or, or because he was scared of commitment. It. Yeah, he was. He's never been able to like, like genuinely connect on an emotional level with anybody. And once he realized that he had feelings for Darling and that she had feelings for him, he was like, oh oh shit, and just panicked and ran basically. I, and never, it was, I will never understand yeah. that sentiment. I don't. I, I don't understand his decision making because then, so presumably, he gets to a point where he realizes he screwed up. Yep. And his solution is to go to the Barrowland, discover oh, all he can about Bowman's, like break so, into the thing. Oh like, what does God, he think is going to happen? What does he think is going to happen? He thought like, he thought he could take all of that information back to Darling 
as proof of like, look, I've changed. I'm here for you. And that was going to be his like ticket to paradise. <laughs> He's an idiot. I, I just <laughs> yes, realized another line that we got earlier that, that suddenly makes much more sense now with the context that's necessary. <laughs> At one point when they, when they dig up Raven, I think it's shortly after they dig up Raven, but, but before he's revived, uh, Croker has an idle thought about if, about knowing Raven, if he knows Raven, he, he's starting to get an inkling that the man was, wasn't running to something, but from something. Yep. Looking back now, that something could very well have been commitment. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, so I found the quote. Um, it's, it's at the very beginning of the last chapter, last vote, where, like, they're all in the inn. And, like, Raven's over by the bar and, and silence off to the side. And then um, there had been a showdown between them, and I had overheard his half. Darling had made very clear her displeasure with his inability to handle emotional commitment. She had not cut him off. She had not banished him from her heart. But he was not redeemed in her eyes. He then had said some very unkind things about Silent, whom, it was obvious, she held in affection, but nothing deeper. That's what I, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Poor, I, I'm telling you, man, I'm with, I'm with Silent here. I'm team, I'm team, <laughs> team Silent. silent. <laughs> Darling Silent, how would you, Starling? I, I have, know, I have stupid. mixed emotions about Silent in, in, like, mixed? I, I, I generally like him, but I don't like what, like, what his infatuation with Darling does to him. Like, he, he does some sketchy is, things, too. Question, question. Is this perhaps colored by your further context, having read the series? Or are you talking solely based on what you've seen so far? Or could it's you perhaps... Solely about this answer? book. Like, I, I don't like book. how silent, like... I don't like how silent gets jealous about, like, uh, Croker. Like, silent gets well, suspicious I mean, about Croker and, like, glares at Croker when when Croker, like... Yeah, so did Raven in the first book, but for different reasons. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm just saying I've mixed emotions about Silent as a character. Like he does some really cool things, and I like a lot of his relationship with Croker. But in this book, he gets super jealous about Darling and gets suspicious about Croker. And like I, I don't I don't I don't Starting. like how his feelings for Darling tinge his approach to his friendship with Croker. I'm oh, starting to notice a pattern here, with men randomly just changing their character from the beginning of the book to the end of the book based on protecting and being paranoid over Darling's safety. Yeah, well, this is a thing that Croker brought up back in Shadows Linger, if you recall, how there's this, like, kind of moral event horizon deal that, like, Darling brings <laughs> up in, in men. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. Oh, well, so. Her name is Darling. Let's be real. <laughs> well, yeah. no, it's not her name. Her name is Tony. Tony, T O N I E, right? Uh, Tony, T O N I E. Tony Frisk. Tony. Frisk? Tony Fisk. Frisk? Fisk. Fisk. Yeah. Fisk. Yeah. Uh, shall we discuss Bowman's? Sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Not what I expected. Not at all. Same. Not at all. Same. I thought we had another shed, but I was so confused about the timeline. I was like, what's, what the, what is going on here? <laughs> the comet's there? Because we were at this point, we were already expecting it to be like 15 years off still i was like what the f what's going on here but then it started to re i started to realize oh oh my god this is but then at I the end the comet happening. did show up 15 years and then the comet showed up 15 <laughs> years early but it, it was it was a really cool bit of slate of hand i feel on on, on the part of the author but i do want to say starting off with bowman's i didn't care at all really for his story 
there were some few points where I was feeling like, oh, that's a nice little family, a nice little warm scene, you know, where he's secretly manipulating with the Jedi fucking powers, the rolls of the dice during their game. That was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> a few, but there were a few moments of, oh, wow, this guy's really got some secrets for sure. I was really intrigued at a couple of points, but as a character, I never felt invested in him or really anybody else around him. Not Beaumont's, not his wife, not his son, Stanch, Stans, Stans? Stancil, thank you. Nobody. I didn't really wasn't really invested in any of the characters when he disappeared at the end of the book. I was like, okay, well, I'm sure that's going to be important later. I completely disagree. Really? I found my I found myself when reading his storyline. I was probably some of the most engaged I was with any storylines in in the rest of the novel. Yeah, I, I'm with Jared on this one. The first time I read the book, I I was like kind of academically interested in Bowman. So I was like, oh, cool. We're getting like new lore. You know, we're, we're finding That's, out what happened back then. Yeah. But as I've read this book more, the personal aspect of Bowman's character development in this and his like uh, his relationship with the monitor. Like really hit home for some reason. Uh like like moved me i mean their their conversations about like you know growing old and and how i'm gonna get into that in a second um you know and and (laughs) and like the world kind of passing them by uh especially like b sand uh i felt for that guy you know having him get replaced and then they bring in this like you know idiot spoiled you know lordling who's immediately gonna screw everything up and 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 he has this kind of mirror in in bowman's like where they they understand each other because they both recognize their time is ending and i thought there was like a really strong melancholy underpinning all of bowman's story and that hit home for me this time okay you know i I just found myself super intrigued once you realize, okay, the backstory that we're getting with him is not what you thought it was. No. <laughs> you guys want to hear how stupid I am now? Got another one oh, for boy. you. <laughs> Drew, when just now, I, I was always pronouncing his name Bessand. And when you, this time you pronounced it I mean, with a hearty, B-Sand, I heard B-Sand. I thought you were talking, and I was wondering, why the hell is Drew feeling sorry for Brandon Sanderson? What is he, like, why is... <laughs> It took me like a like a half a minute before I read. Oh no, he's talking about Bessand. Oh my god, that's why you. I, I like if you notice, I went <gasps> and I clapped my hands. I was like, oh, I'm so fucking stupid. <laughs> what is guy? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I've always pronounced it Bessand. Uh, I haven't Wait, listened so, to the are audio. Bessand, so. as in Brandon Sanderson. I was like, you're what? not doing the audiobooks? Not for these ones. No, I'm on quarantine now, right? So like I can. I'm not on quarantine, but we're all on quarantine. I don't have work right now, so I'm just I'm downloading the books on my, on my phone and just staying in bed all day and reading them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, granted, I, I, it's on I don't the know. phone, it, so it, it might be best end, but uh, I I always kind of pronounce it with the same um, like linguistic um, stress right. as Bowman's B Sand. Yeah, see, I was saying uh, Bowman's and best hand. Oh. That's how I was internally spelling or start pronouncing it. I should say. But okay. B-Sand, so it threw me on such a track there. I was like, whoa. Anyway. Um, yeah. oh, man, so, okay. I have to say, so can I, I, one thing to bring up is an odd uh, thing that it reminded me from Wheel of Time. 
Oh. Like, try and... Uh, how should I say this without spoiling? It reminded me of a fors certain Forsaken searching for a new source of power. Okay. Sure, sure. Mm. I can okay. see the... I could, I could the, see it. The, uh, the connection there, yeah. I didn't consider it, but the Taken have themselves are kind of... We, we talked about how, you know, yeah. they may <laughs> have been heavily influencing the Forsaken themselves. Now, obviously, Bowman's Bowman's not one of the of the Taken, but there are some there are some similar... I don't know, notes that I've, that I, I have I been picking up in this book. I should say I was expecting a similar result. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, even with a spike that can apparently tear, you know, the Dominator's soul out and entrap his soul, I was like, oh, okay, hang on. I'm starting to see a few more notes that are ringing familiar here. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. spike. That's, that's a good yeah. point. Now, I, I didn't mm, think about that. Really? But, oh man, that was uh, the first thing I thought. But um, I will say though, and and this is something you just touched on, Drew, when you're talking about uh, uh, Beaumonts, and and I wanted to say that Cook definitely has some interesting ways to describe the process of aging, or at least the process of realizing that you're aging. There's a passage I have written down here, <clears throat> word for word. It goes, "What had become of that mentally quick, foxy young Beaumonts?" Some silent, unseen guardsman of the mind had interred him in a barrel in the back of his own brain, and there he lay dreaming, while a bald, jowly, pot-bellied gnome gradually usurped him. What a visceral way! What a what a what a oh, what a what a like striking way to describe the process of realizing that you're getting old, you know. And I, I don't want to I don't want to posture. I'm sitting I'm sitting here all of 28 years old. I'm a young and myself but and i'm not even looking at 30 for another year and a half yet but you know i started gaining weight in my mid in my mid 20s at 22 i was modeling for for men's formal wear and stuff like that and at 25 just three years later i'm struggling to pull my socks on because my fucking gut is in the way like <laughs> shit god what a, i mean i was born with a receding hairline so i mean i shit i've been shaving my head because of the quarantine lately shit guys once i grow my beard back i'm gonna be lucky if i look good for 40 you know? <laughs> no, but, I, mean, uh, I am only 28 years old. I will say, old. like, for me, I did just hit 30. But more than that, <laughs> I had, you know, Sorry, as both of you guys know, and, you know, maybe some of the listeners don't, uh, like, I've had some some pretty major, like, health issues in the last year. I had to have heart surgery. I had a uh, pulmonary embolism. Like, like, I've had to kind of grapple with some, some aspects of my health and, and aging that I didn't expect to have to. For a long time <laughs> and uh you know so maybe that was why these bowman's uh kind of uh scenes hit me this way this time sure but but yeah yeah i know that feeling of looking into a mirror as i walk by and thinking fuck it who is this guy like <clears throat> I mean, again, again, 28 years old. Could you just imagine what 40-year-old Rob is going to be thinking if and when he ever listens to this again some days? You little prick. <laughs> shut the fuck up. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Cringing. I didn't mean but to yeah. go Yeah, I didn't mean to go off on a whole tangent bitching about the aging process. But, you know, Boomans, clever, clever stuff. Clever writing out of Cook there. Mm -hmm. um, but by the and time, you know, he done his story, takes on a dragon, right? Yeah, what That's a boss. I, that I was kind of a boss move. Hogging all the XP for himself, though. Shows. Like, it, how, how he has this real sense of responsibility. And even though he 
knows in his heart. He's like, I have two avenues out of this. Either I die or we win and I become a Taken. The lady takes me. He's like, those are my options. But you know what? I, I'm not going to try to run. I'm I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to go take on this dragon. And and I, <laughs> I was really impressed by that. I love that wording too. Could you imagine if he just like stops Croker, thumbs over his shoulder, like, hey, I'm going to take on this dragon. Be right back. <laughs> I mean, it's basically what he does. Everybody's yeah. all busy. The dragon comes up and Bowman's is like, brushing off his shoulders i got this guys you know <laughs> yeah guys hang back i feel like bowman's like i i want to get a beer i want to get a beer with bowman's i think that'd be good yeah yeah he is that <laughs> kind of a guy <laughs> uh, all right no, i'll go, give him go hit up the blue you guys might be swaying me pull an ale <laughs> all right that's the end of my character discussion so i'm ready to head into miscellaneous and some predictions and stuff okay well i want to lead this part off by asking you go guys, for it Okay. Did you, going into this book, did you have any expectation that it would end with the conclusion of The Dominator, The Lady, and Darling? Not not all three. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm convinced it already. It, still, it has. Of course, the Dominator's dead for all intents and purposes. The Dominator's dead and The Lady and Darling have lost their powers. And well, yeah, I have the plan is the king. that they're, they're I, going uh, their separate Dominator is those. dead. I don't think he's gone, obviously. Okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. What do you mean but by like, that? You mean like, well, the wait. silver spike. Yeah, it's okay. Okay, I just want to make sure, like dead but not gone. For me, it's like gone but not dead. Um, but but like just this, I, the idea of like that plot line about how like the the black company is the rebels now and that like, prophecy. I know. I remember thinking going into that book, I'm like, like we we probably got like the whole series will end with some massive battle between the lady and the dominator and darling and yep. the black company and and then bam book three it happens so i was like well, oh well there's some uh, fireworks i still, <laughs> still kind of read this i would one. say Sorry, i would say i didn't expect the black company itself to end up where it is i mean how many are even left in the black company it's like seven six? <laughs> I, I believe six. it was seven including the lady knowing i had all the these books company? are coming uh so so it was Left in the Black Company, we have Croker, um, Croker, One Eye, Goblin, Mergen, uh, uh, two brothers, right? Well, or they take well, off. No, so, they took off. Well, okay. yeah. So there were the three Torque brothers and Silent, and they all and Raven, and they all left. Yeah. Um, there was two brothers. Yeah, no, it's three. It's three. Um, okay. so it's five, including the lady, then, right? Because it's yeah, it's Croker, Mergen, Goblin, One Eye, and the lady. Am I forgetting somebody? I don't think I am. I'm just surprised that the lady is counted among the, the black company now. Is she like sworn well, to them? <laughs> What's going no, on? I mean, she's she's not sworn to them, but she's like part of the black they're company. They're party. That's, but... that's going down. Yeah. She's uh, not. Okay. I, I'm just like kind of drawing a hard demarcation between Croker's group, who are officially oh, the black yeah, company, yeah. and Darling's group, which is like all the people who took Croker's offer and were like, all right, I'm I'm quitting you know hmm. and the lady's just kind of tagging along well okay. sort of honestly what i <laughs> thought would happen what i was expecting to happen was dominator breaking free and lady and darling and the company all teaming up to take him down mm -hmm. that's kind <laughs> of not i, I <laughs> but like i wasn't expecting it to 
end with them defeating the Dominator. Like, I thought the end of the book would be, you know, Lady Darling and the Black Company all kind of just teaming up. Yeah. Okay, and then and then, and then the next yeah, and then the next book yeah. would be like all out war against the Dominator yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I thought it was going to. I will say that I didn't expect um the 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 culmination of the prophecy and the return of the comet 15 years early i was definitely yeah. not expecting that but i i still thought there was going to be a bigger battle than this between the lady and the white rose and i thought that the dominator was going to be involved i didn't i didn't really have the feeling at the time that this was the end of that i don't know i still don't know if i really fully think it so is like are you disappointed by that that there wasn't like a bigger battle i'm a little disappointed that the, the dominator lady. was killed or he's just taken care of, at least, for lack of a better term. I, I thought, I wanted to see more, because he was kicking ass while he was out. I wanted to see more <laughs> of why he was such a threat, rather than the few-minute fight sequence that we saw. By the way, how freaking cool was that wrestling match between him and, and Tracker? Tracker, yeah. That was so cool. I am such a sucker for martial arts, and especially for hand-to-hand -hand combat. And, and between two supernatural beings like that, that can throw, figure, like, throw somebody, like the... Like Elmo, thirty feet. Yeah. That's just. Oh man, I was so I was I had, yeah, that was cool. See, for me, I really liked uh, how the the climax played out as far as like uh, Lady and Darling. Uh, given how much character development we got for those two characters, it felt better for me having it be this like very intimate personal showdown, personal moment. Rather than some big, you know, conflagration, uh, I I liked that. Jared, what do you think? Say, uh, oh, go I, I was happy with it. Like, if you told me this is where the series ended and it was this trilogy called Black Company, mm -hmm. like I'd be comfortable with it. Knowing that there are more books coming, I'm very intrigued to find out what happens with the company. Yeah. But that being said, I'm I'm still perfectly fine with the way it ended. Okay. I would have liked for Croker to, in the, maybe even in the future, I don't know. It's probably not going to happen, but it, it's cool to, to fantasize as somebody who hasn't uh, read those books yet. But how cool would it be if Croker found, somehow found his way to some supernatural power and then just had like a, like a throwing fists, a, a showdown with the Dominator, <laughs> knuckle to knuckle, cheek to cheek. That would have been freaking cool. You know, I kind of repeating a point that I think Drew made in the Black Company episode, the first one we did. Mm -hmm. I sometimes have a hard time reconciling like a magic system in that there is no magic system. Yeah. Like it's sorry, your your comment, Rob, just made me think of that and like how sure. do how does Raven suddenly like figure out how to do all of this stuff? Uh, I guess that's a raffle. I'm gonna guess that's a raffle. I mean, you get a little bit of information about it where, like, he he did study it back in the day. Um, like, can, and, like and he has you were a saying, very small amount of talent, but, yeah. You're saying, Rob, it'd be interesting, like, if Croker found himself a bit of magic. Like, I guess he can yeah. if you can just learn it, right? Yeah, well, I, yeah, that's a good point. But then again, what like, Raven's nowhere near on the, on the level of, like... No, yeah, it's like, the taking, from, even. from what I understand, you have to have at least some innate talent for sorcery for magic and but but you can you can become more okay i'll just say this right now there there's a point much later in the series where um i think it's one eye 
breaks down what it is where he's like comparing his strength with like that of the taken and he said it's it's not like a matter of skill it's a matter of power where he can do if what i wanted he could do the same thing as one of the taken but it would take him like hours to perform the spell whereas the taken could just like snap it off so for raven he has the talent but he has very very little talent so it takes him years of study and work to prepare himself to go into uh to do this ritual that bowman's did in like you know an evening all right yeah. all right glad to know we get a little more detail about the magic system yeah later um I was, uh, to start off my, just my, my random miscellaneous points here, I want to say I was getting pretty annoyed with some of the Meneers myself, in case it wasn't obvious already earlier in the podcast, this constant <laughs> repetition of there are strangers on the place. You know, it started to sound annoying, like, like, like that annoying repeating soundbite in a video game that you're just starting to figure out. You know, like, I found myself repeating it when I wasn't re- uh, there was a moment when I was barbecuing chicken <laughs> on Saturday. On Saturday night, I was barbecuing chicken. I was flipping the thighs, and I'm sitting there in the garage going, there are strangers on the plane. I, was like, <laughs> I, I couldn't get it out of my head. Eventually, I got up to a point today when I was finishing the book. I just wanted Croker to turn around and be like, you know what? Say that one more time, and we'll see if a stone head can fit in a stone ass. <laughs> I feel like... See, I was really amused, though, because I feel like Croker oh, is thinking the same damn thing. Like, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I was more than Croker. I was I was getting straight up irritated with it. I was like, dude. Oh, my gosh, like, that's hilarious. I was ex- totally to expecting him to, like, just lose his shit with them. Just fist fight a statue. I don't care. I'll do it. Make my point. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, you know, uh, uh, see here. See. Well, so on the topic of Strangers on the Plane... Um, did Shit. you guys have any suspicions about uh, Toad Killer Dog and Tracker? No, that took me completely, but I'm not going to nope. lie. I was totally blindsided by that one. So I was too, the first time reading through. And then when I reread this, right. one, I'm like, man, how the hell did I miss that? As like, tends to happen. The whole, the whole thing about uh, when they're fleeing from the Barrow Land and there's like taken level spells being fired off in the wilderness coincidentally when tracker goes out to like prevent them you know from from being scouted and then when uh when croaker's captured and whisper shows up and she's like yeah she tells him she's like oh you know your your friends aren't getting away we've cornered them i'm about to go get them now and then she shows up again after that and she's like all singed and wrecked and she's like what the hell was that thing and and Croker just thinks to himself, like, damn, one eye goblin must have outdone themselves. But like, Okay, I remember that thought. I do remember that thought of him going, wow, one eye goblin are like and then, really and showing then up. The lady like and then in charm later on, the lady's talking to Croker and and she's like, Do you know what you were traveling with? And he's like he thinks about one eye goblin, she's like, No, no, no. Like that's way beyond what they can do. Like, in those circumstances, they could not pull that off. And and uh yeah. She's like, the last time I saw bodies that looked like that, it was during the Dominator's heyday. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, but... That's really well so, foreshadowed. I like that. Yeah, it, it was really well done, but like you guys, the first time I read it, I sweat straight over my head. Yeah, no, mine too. Nope. Never connected it. <laughs> I was nice, still, I was nice. like in denial afterwards. I was like, but I was starting to like him because he was, A, Tracker was such a badass, but B, he was so concerned for his dog. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. He's yeah. always boomed out, and he's like a like a like automaton when he when like catatonic when his dog wasn't around. I was like, I like this guy. He's my kind of guy. Also, and I don't get name book, you're like that, that friggin' dog. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, Where does Toad too. Killer come from? Like, what the hell? I don't the, know. The name? Well, they, they, even the what? dog himself doesn't know, right? Did yeah. he murder a frog? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, probably at some point. <laughs> I get the feeling that it's like some childhood memory, this associative memory that's like locked in the back of his mind. It has something to do with when he was a human and he was, I don't know. <laughs> no, oh, I'm just man. inventing a backstory for him now. I was, I was a little like, I was a little invested in Toad Killer Dog. I was like, mm. Phone me out, man. That's mm-hmm. great. That's great. Mm. Uh, what, uh, how cool was one eye playing with the minds of his torturers, just getting inside their head? <laughs> all, all the spiders everywhere that are coming out of his body and stuff like that. Oh, I thought yeah. that was a lot of fun. He's got like cool. the, one time the spider that like puts its legs out of his belly button and like pulls yeah. itself out. Ugh. And he's <laughs> laughing, and then goblins in the corner going, "Hey, make sure you stretch him ten feet tall, eh?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Except goblins. he doesn't sound Canadian. I'm sure. <laughs> He's all squeaky. Like, yeah. Goblin's squeaky. He's all like, oh, yeah. stretch him 10 feet tall. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> He's like constantly like sucking in helium. His <laughs> helium voice. Now, oh, uh, the, the bombshell that was dropped by the lady about Old Father Tree. I've been waiting to yes. get on the Old Father Tree. Another god right there in disguise. Unimaginably powerful. I had to put my phone down and just go, whoa, what? And then my mind was blown entirely open the next page or two when she says, I did not connect the legends in the plane until I saw that tree. Yes, the earth constrains something as virulent as my husband. So much suddenly makes sense. It all fits. The beasts, the impossible talking rocks, coral reefs a thousand miles from the sea. It, could, it all leaked through from the other world. The change storms are the tree's dreams. If I, mean, if, if I was Croker in that moment, you could have heard a pin <laughs> drop in the yeah. dirt. <laughs> like, yeah. wow. What a, bu- it, what a nuclear mean, it bomb It does drop. make sense, though. It's like the, how, how the plate of fear can exist. I'll, I'll, I'll exist. I'll admit, when I kept hearing, you know, the coral, just the, that word, the coral, I was like, oh, well, can't mean... There's got to be a different kind of coral that I just didn't know existed. No, yeah. Right? It's just got to be like it's another word that coral reef. shares the same letters. <laughs> nope. I was... I wasn't as stupid in that moment, at least, as I thought I was being. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about unresolved business, whatever is hiding or trapped under that thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the... <laughs> the the uh, other dictionary. dominator. <laughs> about that, yeah. That, like, crushes uh, Croker's ankle. <laughs> Yeah, that was oof. the description of that. Yeah, the hand caused me pain. Like I could, I could the like sympathetic pain. You know, really, I could like feel the bones in my ankle grinding. Like, oh. oh, question. There's, there's one. Okay, since you just brought that up, thank you. That just reminded me. It joggled something loose. There was one moment where, I, where Croker's describing. Uh, I think it was to One Eye because One Eye is the one he was trained as a as an alternate medic, right? Uh-huh. And he, and he tells one eye that about the damage to his ankle. He said, um, it's, it feels like it's, oh, shit. He, the first word is wrong, but then he goes, I mean, crushed. Sorry, old timer. Who's he talking to? Uh, I think he's talking to the tree. Okay. If, if I remember the scene In the right. annals, he's talking to the tree? 
Because I mean, that, that was definitely not like something that came out of his mouth. He he was that was that was internal. Oh oh, uh, let me let me look up the. Said my ankle has been ground. I mean crushed. Sorry, old timer. Like that's part of the internal dialogue, not not something he says out loud. I don't know if the first word was ground, but the second one was definitely crushed. Because I remember thinking, oh, so that Do you must have be the actual proper... quote. Shit. No, uh, no, I don't think I do. I know the second I, one was I'm crushed. I'm searching. I'm searching, and the only you times... search crushed old timer, you'll find it. So the only times in in the the compendium that the words old timer are used are both in the first book. Oh, oh, oh ah. Uh, here, I hated to interrupt, but I just had to scream. You see, something had me by the ankle. It was squeezing so hard, I felt the bones grinding, crushing. Sorry about that, old timer. None of that is spoken out loud. That is internal. Is he, is Interesting. He, who, who the hell is he talking to? <laughs> Maybe he's apologizing himself? to the, the old man who taught him medicine oh, and how he would have been disappointed in a student. There. Okay, that's yeah, old timer is hyphenated too. Maybe he's thinking think that his, th his trainer would have been disappointed to hear him using that vernacular. No, I uh, I think that's just him. He's saying grinding and crushing as like a description and then saying sorry about that old timer, like talking to himself being like, yeah, it sucks to suck, bud. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. yeah, okay, yeah. I yeah. considered that angle on it. Yeah, that's how I read okay. it. Interesting. All right. Uh, so <laughs> anybody like... I still have two or three miscellaneous just points of interest, but if anything has been jogged loose, I'll give you guys a chance to speak up. Nope. Okay. Are we get so, a, a, a... So go okay. ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, it, so go ahead. Oh, sweet. All right. Well, how cool was that, and how surreal and odd and, and fascinating was that viewpoint from Raven inside the barrel end? That was pretty cool, wasn't it? Uh, oh, like, yeah, really yeah. Unexpected. When he's, like, going in... Yeah, we an odd scene though. It's so short too. Like, what is this hell? Like, like, like a, an alternate dimension? Yeah, like we've basically seen like the spirit plane, like all the ghosts and spells and things, and and then he gets into the middle, and and the Dominator like sits up and grins at him, and you're like, oh, no. nightmare fuel. <laughs> you totally yeah. just stole one of my three favorite scenes. Oh shit! I've already missed <laughs> one of mine too by accident. So we're each gonna just have like two new ones, I guess. Mm. Damn, damn. Uh, I noticed. Hey, I noticed a really odd colloquialism out of the lady. At one point, you guys probably caught on to it too. At one point, she looks at Croker and said, "Like as soon as I, I'm pretty sure when he after he kisses the ground after he leaves the carpet, <laughs> yeah. she goes, Time flies when you're having fun.' Yeah, you know, having yep. a little a little fun with Croker's reaction there. But even even Croker could. I was like, what the hell? And then Croker himself stops and considers that phrase an old cliche. I I loved that scene. I'm sorry. I loved how after you like you know he gets off and he immediately has this like melodramatic thing where he's literally kissing the ground yeah. and she's like he literally says he calculatedly did it like a yeah, deliberately and, calculatedly and melodramatic like, you know, motion. She's like you know go go have a drink go go like mingle with the the guys and and he's like I did not do that. I went to my quarters and I shook <laughs> until I passed out. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty cool, man. That was pretty, and it was, it was, it was fun. It was fun. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah. I have two predictions <laughs> okay. before we conclude and head into our final scenes, our favorite scenes, I should say. First, first prediction. So it's kind of a long one. I'm gonna go on just a tiny, like one minute uh, rant here. It's 
dude, it's so obvious that the lady is actually reading Croker's thoughts. Like, no, she does not have an uncanny intuition. Or she's female. She's got an un- she's definitely got that. But she's definitely got this supernatural intuition thing going on. I mean, I was already suspecting this black uh, back in the black company. Black in the back company is what I almost said there. Um, you know, she was reading his thoughts just a little too on the nose, and that kept up for a couple more circumstances, even in shadows linger. Uh, but I chose not to speak up at the time because I had a lot of other things to discuss, and I still have some more to discuss this episode too, but I am absolutely speaking up now because I am convinced. There were like five separate times when she spoke the perfect response with the perfect context in the middle of his thoughts at the perfect time when they occurred in his inner dialogue. The the, yeah. the exact moment where I became 100% certain when I went, okay, it's not just maybe, it's definitely, it was, is, is, like the the lady is telling him there are several thousand rebels, and and there are uh, you know, heading for the town of House. Croker is like stunned by that number, and he thinks to himself, have have things really changed that much? And the lady just goes, they have. And I I mean there are a thousand other responses that still would have worked to Croker's thoughts. I'm sure some of his thoughts were on his face. That's not beyond believability. But, like. Th- she could have just been like, I know. Yeah, they're growing, eh? Isn't that impressive? But she specifically says, they have. They. Referring to a subject that she has not currently been talking about. Like, it's just too much. So my, my formal prediction is that it's going to come to light that she is capable, at least in some manner, of telepathy. And further, I'm starting to think that these moments of humanity that Croker's glimpsing where he sees her thinking out loud for lack of a better term are her maybe her conscious or unconscious way of trying to even her exchanges with croaker as like a fair playing field if she can do that but i think it's going to come to light that she has some sort of loose telepathy i've just kind of taken it for granted that she has that ability (laughs) yeah well he keeps saying that but he keeps excusing it he keeps dismissing it every time it happens he's just like wow she's really good at guessing she's so good at guessing do you think she'll retain this ability now that she's been named? No. That's a good point. I haven't considered that, but my immediate instinctual knee-jerk reaction is no, of course not. Okay. Cool. Unless there's another reason for it and it's not magical, which would be cool. It'd be really cool. Um, so yeah. Great. Now we're going to get to like page one of the next book and we'll be like <laughs> finishing Croker's thought. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're playing Pictionary, and she just draws exactly what's on the card before he even opens his mouth. Um, <laughs> beginning of chapter 44, this is my second prediction. And I've, I've already alluded to this twice, each time you guys bring up the, the tree or the thing under the tree. This little right. piece did not slip by me. And I quote it again from Croker. There were dreams, endless, horrible dreams. Someday, if I live so long, if I survive what is yet to come, I may record them, for they were the story of a god that is a tree... And of the thing his roots bind. I mean, it, it even ends with ellipses. Come on, like, come on. It's, that's <laughs> that's going to be happening for sure in a future book. Maybe a whole novel about it. I don't know. Okay. 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 Any predictions? Jared? Nope. Not yet. Well, I have a couple <laughs> of predictions. No, no, no. What? <laughs> what the fuck? Okay, you really threw me for like a half second stroke there. I was like, hang on. I was doubting which one of us is actually ready. No, see, what you got to do is make like three predictions and have only like one you know is true. There you go. You got to throw them off the trail, right? 
Like, see, no, what I predict is going to happen to that. I just give a synopsis of the next book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no, man, we no. pretty much did that for sure, Fall. So I totally, like, I totally thought after the last episode when we were talking about if Raven had actually died, and Drew was like, well, what are you going to do if on, like, the first page of the next book, it's his, you know, his funeral or something. <laughs> I was totally expecting that. <laughs> really? Yeah, after was, Drew was, said that, I was like, oh, Drew's just being a smartass. I was definitely trying to pull your leg on a, on a couple of I, things last episode. I remember in the last episode, I predicted that the lady was going to come up with a, a couple of new Taken. And I thought, oh, we didn't see, we didn't see exactly the captain's body. We didn't see him drown. I was like, oh, and then Elmo was kind of left behind too. So I was like, oh, damn, I, 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 we might have a couple of new Taken that are like, really really invested in our characters and having a, like a big emotional connection there too and then of course right at the beginning of the book we learn there are some new taken i was like oh, oh i think i know where this is going and then their names are slightly different but i was like mm, rebirth new names who knows but no they were just totally different i was a little yeah. a little disappointed i wanted to see more of the captain i remember saying there's no way no godly way that raven is dead and damn it i don't think the captain's dead yet i think i have to accept the captain's dead unless I'm, you I were, want to uh, consider. You were one for two on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, boy. But I, I knew, I knew Raven wasn't dead. I was like, I remember saying, Raven's definitely not dead. Captain might not be dead, but Raven's definitely not dead. Sure enough. Sure enough. <laughs> so, do we so, want to go into three favorite scenes then? Yes, I am so ready for that. Do we all have three today? Uh, I, I do. Yeah. Jared. Jared? Yeah, yes. Excellent. Okay, I guess I'll go. We'll go. Me, Jared, Drew. Sure. Okay. Sure. Uh, let's see here. For I'll start at the bottom, third place. Croker desperately trying to steer the carpet with everyone on board. <laughs> Some high quality entertainment that was, especially because he's an old guy. I mean, a younger guy would have probably had more fun, depending on your head for heights. But from a guy like Croker, who's he's an old dog, learning all of the new tricks. I was just like seeing him so disconcerted and so uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. and so thankful to be back on the ground and seeing the reactions of everyone around him. That was like <laughs> almost like comedy. It was great. Yeah, well, totally he's, comedy. He's yeah, the perfect say, character to be stuck in that situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jared, third favorite, man. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say the father tree fight when whatever the hell it is that was trying to escape. And it, well, you kind of had all this stuff happening at once because you had you mystery thing trying to escape, you had attempted assassinations from the Taken, whose names I'm forgetting. I think it was Scorn and Blister, but I might be wrong. Scorn, right. yeah, Scorn and Blister are the ones right. that the tree just kind of bitch slapped back. Am I thinking? <laughs> yeah. <of those? laughs> right. yeah. And then you have this tree like taking out a dog. And, like, I, it was great. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, pretty dope. Man. All right, Drew. Okay. So my third favorite scene was uh, their like little holdout in uh, Rust after the siege when they get like stuck okay. overnight, you know? And the specifically the one scene that I I mean I know why it's so hilarious to me but but it is unreasonably hilarious when you know they're talking about how uh like they first cast a spell the wizards cast a spell I think it's just silent is there because one eye and goblin went off into rust to like get help and silent casts a spell on the the besieging forces and there's like a bunch of screaming and you know and everything outside and then it just like goes quiet and and they're like oh okay well they have a magic user out there 
and uh, or, or maybe it was just Goblin, and he tells Croker, "Yeah, they have a magic user out there. He he's no big deal, but he's enough to neutralize me." And then One Eye gets back in the middle of the night, and so they do it again, and they have one of them cast a spell. The enemy magic user neutralizes him and then the other one sets the, the enemy guy on fire and Croker's <laughs> on the wall and just sees this like burning human run back to rust like into the night like, I yeah, just have this yeah. hilarious mental image of a guy just like, like jump up on fire and like run away screaming with his arms in the air I was seeing Denethor in, in, in Lord of the Rings just yeah, like yeah. a little fiery figure yeah just like that just like that yeah 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 it's just kind of like you're in there you're in there oh my god and suddenly pulls back to that bird's eye it's just a little <laughs> ant on fire and it's just yeah and, and you could just like picture the grin on like goblin's face he's like got him <laughs> you know? nailed it fist bump yeah with, yeah the goblin there yeah oh man <laughs> so rob <laughs> number right. two. Oh, it's my turn next here i'm waiting for you guys for some reason okay the lady <laughs> confessing her fears about death to croaker and asking him to hold her as she weeps on his shoulder that was moving that was that was moving that was that got struck a chord inside of me that i was not ready to to, to have struck yet I, I was still holding out some hope for the lady to have this level of humanity and i was glad to see it i was just a little surprised by the timing of it but it was it was it was, it was very nice and warm to read and i felt a little more secure about croaker and his i want not infatuation but his you know feelings his affection for the lady even though to him it's still kind of hard to understand yeah yeah but that scene yeah that scene was my second favorite okay jared good um second favorite probably when raven slash corby enters the burial land and finds the dominator expecting him to be in some form of sleep i guess and instead he sits up and just like slowly smiles uh, don't say it again man no <laughs> yeah I'll be seeing that when i wake up tonight in the middle of the night Ugh. although uh, after reading that i'm like what did you really expect to happen like mm. just like a zombie figure that's just like uh, sitting there mummified just like uh oh you can hear a heartbeat coming from it though oh that'd be creepy Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. Well, my okay. my second favorite scene is the uh the quote torture scene in the barrel land where, <laughs> you know, goblins like egging him on and one eyes like popping spiders out of his mouth and his belly buttons and like they're having the, time with it. And and yeah. Croker's just like rolling his eyes at the corner. He's like, Oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> so much for anonymity here. Okay. God damn it. All right, I have to take charge now. And he just he looks at the captain, at the, I or the captain, the colonel, I think it was the colonel sweet. And he's yeah. just like, So you know that you you know that you have no chance, right? You know that we're controlling this now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, man, but ten paces <laughs> back, buddy. <laughs> That's pretty good. Mm. Yeah. It's my second okay. favorite. So my my very favorite scene. This is uh it, it's it's one one simple scene, but I'm gonna expand upon it a little bit and why it really struck for me in the way it did. Uh, and I've already been talking a lot about that in this episode. Darling's confession to Croker in mm -hmm. chapter forty two, when she explains herself to him in a moment of vulnerability, and and I wrote the quote down here. It's a bit of a long one. Why did he salvage me in that village? Because of guilt over children he had abandoned. 
I was a safe child, and while a child, I remained a safe emotional investment. I did, but I did not remain a child, Croker. And I knew no other man in all those years in hiding. She goes on a little bit after Croker's exposition. On the road south, when we were running from the dark danger of the lady and the lighter danger of the company, I betrayed my true feelings. I opened the lid on a chest of dreams nurtured from a time before I was old enough to think about men. He became a changed man, a frightened animal caught in a cage. He was relieved when news came that the lieutenant had appeared with some of the company. It was not but a matter of hours before he was dead. I suspected then, I think a part of me will always know, or a part of me always knew, and that is why I am not so devastated now as you want. Yes, I cry myself to sleep sometimes. I cry for a little girl's dreams. I cry because the dreams will not die, though I am powerless to make them come true. I cry because the one thing I truly want, I cannot have. Now, first off, wow. But, you know, as... I think this really says something that two of my three favorite scenes from this book were not spectacle driven as they were previously, but rather emotionally charged scenes that we get to see entirely new sides of our characters and the, the lady and darling, even from book one, the moment where Raven thanks Croker for, for the storytelling from the, like the annals by old straw. I may, I may complain about Cook's prose being hard to follow on a sentence-by-sentence level on occasion, uh, but the man, he can really bring his characters to life right in front of you. And it's it's magnificent. And I'm so much more invested now in both the lady and Darling. So I think, you know, that, that, that's a mark of a very accomplished, maybe master storyteller right there. Respect to Glenn Cook. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's I, my that's my favorite totally scene. Agree. I know it's long winded, but that was it. Jared, fire away. Um, my third one was I really liked the clever uh, character arc with Silent, where he ends up being the one to name the lady. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I didn't consider that. Damn. I I loved how many like moments there were over the book where crooker would either mention like how he'd seen silent almost talk when he got really angry in the past but he never did or and then moments where silent would like like make a motion or or, like change his body language crooker's like oh are you gonna oh you know and then and then it was all just just lead up (laughs) yeah i I do that i'm kind of like i'm kind of kicking myself for not making a prediction that yeah. the character named Silent would have a climactic moment where he yells something. Yeah, when he, <laughs> when he stops being silent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that moment in in uh, God was it Rise of the Planet of the Apes? I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but suddenly Siege of the Monkey just goes no, and all the everybody in the zoo just stops. Like, was that the fucking monkey that just said that? <laughs> like, wait a second, hold on a second, like. I, I always knew at some point that ri- that Silent was going to speak. It's pretty obvious. For anybody who like has read more than one fantasy book, they know that, okay, that's such a great moment to happen some- at some point for it to really have impact. Did not expect it to be in book three. I, I keep saying this about things that happened in this book happening way earlier in the series than I expected them to. But it was still every bit as epic as I was hoping for. I was hoping it would be at the, the climax of something. He would say something mm-hmm. very important, maybe in his last few seconds of life. 
Um, in in that moment, for all he knew, it was because <laughs> he was right. making a really big play there. I'm glad that he knew mm-hmm. it. I don't know how I would have felt about the lady if I mean this is not really fair to say either, but if the lady had just done that to Darling and removed her 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 no magic or I should say her anti magic, but then just you know silent didn't happen to know the which one the lady was, mm-hmm. I would have been like, oh well, now I don't like the lady anymore, which is weird. Why do I? Why am I feeling like the lady got off easy? <laughs> oh, she did not get off easy. <laughs> I don't know. She still losing her powers. Sketchy. Losing yeah, her but powers, losing that's... her that, that when she had her power, she decided to take Darling. So you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. But yeah. So. Uh, but keep in mind, she oh. did tell Croker earlier in the book specifically about that. Like when she's like, "There are three possible futures I have divined." And one of them, yes. the one where we triumph, she says, your white rose and I both fall. Oh, yeah. Okay. I considered that. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot to mention that we actually, I, I had some whole points about Elmo, the, the lieutenant, and Silent here. Well, just one about the first two. And Silent, I had a couple more here. But I, I'm not, I, we pretty much covered that just now. I just want to say that the biggest emotional impact for me in this entire book might have been the very end when Croker asks Silent the big question, are you going to go your own way? And he just closes his eyes and he nods yes. That ripped my heart out of my chest. Well, the most emotional moment for me is my favorite scene. And it Oh, is... have you not got to your absolute favorite yet? No. <laughs> oh, shit. Look at me being an idiot. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Uh, it, it is that scene with Croker and the lady... In front of the fire. Okay. It, yeah. That that is it is just so tender. And there is this quiet desperation in it. The way he wrote the scene, and, and I'm gonna read this like you did in your scene. Sure. To cover my reaction, I slipped off the couch and added three small logs to the fire. But for our moods, it would have been nice there in the crispy heat, watching the dancing flames. We did that for a while. I sensed that I was not expected to talk. It begins at sunup, she said at last. What? The final conflict. Laugh at me, Croker. I'm going to try to kill a shadow, with no hope of surviving myself. Laugh? Never. Admire. Respect. My enemy still, in the end, unable to extinguish that last spark of light and so die in yet another way. All this while, she sat there primly, hands folded in her lap. She stared into the fire as if certain that eventually it would reveal the answer to some mystery. She began to shiver. This woman, for whom death held such devouring terror, had chosen death over surrender. What did that do for my confidence? Nothing good. Nothing good at all. I might have felt better had I seen the picture she did, but she did not talk about it. In a very... Very soft, tentative voice, she asked, Broker, will you hold me? Like, hmm. holy I was already, crap. At, see, at this point, I was already <laughs> screaming at him, dude, put an arm around her, hold her, hold her, give her a hug, she needs it, this is your time, do it. Not like make a move, I'm not being like creepy about it. I mean like, dude, she needs a little bit of, oh. be, a, be, a fu- be what you are, you asshole. Give it, her a it's... hug. I was already screaming at him to do that at that point, so when she said that, I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's the short sentences. It's the, the staccato. Like, 
just quick short sentences but in the context you don't read them fast you you kind of have to slow down because that is the kind of moment this is it's a slow moment it's a sad moment like it brilliant writing it, it is and and i will say this like among all the books i have ever read one of if not the most romantic scene i've ever read mm. i love it okay yeah, i think I, I have trouble with that scene because of my feelings about the lady your predilection for yeah see for me that like that was the scene that really flipped the switch for me with the lady like that was the moment mm-hmm. yeah i i think my, my my own switch was flipped even earlier than that but that this was a moment where i felt good about that decision mm-hmm. i was like okay that mm-hmm. i think yeah i was justified in starting to come around on the lady and, and so, while we were talking there i looked I, I looked it up because i have an honorable mention it's just a quote it's just a single a single sentence um an idiom that bowman's offers croaker and i'm really glad that you brought that up with for your favorite scene there drew when you quoted there you said something about extinguishing that last part of the light mm-hmm. uh, because the quote here i have from bowman's to croaker it is only slightly less difficult for us to extinguish the light within us than it is for us to conquer the darkness mm-hmm. i loved that quote i love that quote so oh, yeah such a yeah so okay um, oh dude i learned three new words in this book i totally forgot to mention them oh the top all of my right. predictions i have three <laughs> new words that i learned sorry guys <laughs> and so sorry for everyone listening too normally this happens at the beginning of our miscellaneous so the first word interlocute interlocute what however the fuck it's pronounced interlocute yeah yeah short of interlocution means to discuss in depth i didn't know that um second word this one blew my mind elan elan that's a word like e-l-a-n elan yeah yeah oh i thought it was elan because it had the accent that's how it is in french right it has like the a well whatever um I thought it was just a name. Like, okay, there's a Wheel of Time character and a Nightwish song. It's also the <laughs> yeah. name. I named my electric guitars. Yes, I'm that much of a freaking dork. I name all of my guitars. My black Schecter Revenger is named Alan after the Nightwish song. But I'll be damned. Like, Odium from the Stormlight Archive. I'm just now learning that what I thought was a name is actually a word. And this one means momentum. Yeah, it will. It's like. Um... Uh, how how do I like like with with pizzazz or or, or with style like like you do something Flare? with Elon yeah or flair or, or like I don't know I yeah, I've I always like pizzazz. seen it's it such as a weird word I like it though as a word you know that that would be used in um you know one of those like eighteenth nineteenth century like British fiction books where like uh, mm-hmm. yeah. some like dashing count flourishes his sword and like. <laughs> Strikes with Elan, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the accent you put on there too. That was nice. Yeah, um, yeah. My about the last word that I, I learned for the first time this week is proselytize. Oh yeah, to convince or mm-hmm. convert. Yep. Didn't yeah, know really that one. Word. Now I do. Really good word. So, yep. That's about it for now. That's literally all the information I have to talk about today. I'm ready to go on to the final draft. Let's do it. Okay, I'll start then because my 
choice, as has been usual lately, is rather uninspired and boring. I am still carb-free for the past few days now, and I decided I'm going to forego the beer also kind of because the only beer we have is Bush, and all the liquor stores and beer stores are closed on Mondays now in Ontario because of this pandemic, so I couldn't even get to buy some more. Um, so I just went for what we had in the fridge, and that was Diet Sprite. No, sorry, <laughs> Zero Sugar Sprite. And it was good. It was really good. I'm really glad that I have all this zero sugar stuff that tastes almost like the real thing for this uh, low-carb diet that I'm putting on myself. So That yeah. was inspiring. Thank you. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> all right. Jared? Uh, yeah, I got a Sam Adams Summer Ale. Ooh, I love Sam, Sam Adams, Adams Summer Ale. Yep. I had Sam Adams once at a uh, on 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 tap at a shit at a hotel. Where was this? It was in Ottawa, where I was going there for a Chili Pepper show, and they had I was in the hotel restaurant, and they were serving Sam Adams, uh, on tap, and I had that Sam. I was like, this is delicious. I don't know what kind, which subset of Sam Probably Adams it was. Probably just really, the regular Boston Lager. It was it was so good. It was so it was so fruity and rosy and and wood. I was like, this is very nice. So I have had Sam I'm Adams, but it's not a very common one up here, at least. I'm a fan of the summer ale, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that guy's got, like, lemon peel and stuff in it, right, Jared? Yeah, um, orange, lemon, lime peels. Yeah. Oh, citrus. Mm, yeah. Mm, okay, nice. okay. Well, uh, I, I did bring in a thematically appropriate beer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> As, I'm, as I'm, I'm just sure, shocked. Because I'm sure, yeah, surprised everybody. Oh, he actually managed this week, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is a fooder-aged Hellas from Cerebral Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado. I think uh, I've heard one of those words. <laughs> so uh, a Hellas is a is a style of a traditional style of lager beer. Um, it, it they tend to be really like bright and kind of. Uh, um, grainy bready kind of thing and this is exactly that um and then the hellers a hellas h-e-l-l-e-s yeah okay and and then fooders are basically like giant barrels traditionally used to like age and ferment wine and uh kind of in the uh craft beer revolution in north america largely spearheaded by new belgium in in fort collins colorado they have a, a famous area in their brewery called the fooder forest where they have like 50 or 60 of these fooders and these are giant barrels they're like 20 feet tall like oh huge huge barrels damn. um and so generally speaking breweries would get these fooders from wineries you know after they've used them and then they would age or ferment beers in them with whatever you know house bacteria or yeast strains whatever they want in there and you'll get like a Sometimes you get a really sour beer out of it or, or a funky beer or a grassy beer or something, you know, depending on the, the bugs that are in it. Um, <laughs> but this, this one is, uh, is just like a really crisp, really clean, uh, delicious, summery kind of drink. It is 5.1%, so, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. Uh, mm. But it is, I think, perfect for... Not only the Black Company, but a lot of what the lady does in this book. And it is called Tactical Maneuver. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Not just the not just the lady, but Darling as well. I like that. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. Croker at the end of the last book too. And the Lieutenant right before that. I actually that's a really common theme. I like that. Mm-hmm. Nicely done. Yeah, like man. Nicely going done. back to 
you know, how we were talking at the beginning of the episode, seeing the black company in a different position where they're like, they're, they're not an official army or, or company. You know, it's just like a ragtag band of guys. And if they're going to hang on, they got to be really smart. They got to be really strategic. They got to have some tactical maneuvers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fitting, fitting. Nice, yeah. very nice. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So uh, I think that takes us to the end of our I episode. Agree. This has been episode 69 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Next nice. up... We are going to be covering the Silver Spike, which is, uh, if if you're reading these books uh, for the first time, it is in the collection called the Books of the South, and it is the third volume in the Books of the South. We're skipping <laughs> over Shadow Games and Dreams of Steel. I I don't know why Tor decided to put them in that order. In it, the Silver Spike much more properly belongs fourth in the sequence of events. What about release? It was also fourth in release, uh, right? It was fifth in release. Yeah. <laughs> what was the fourth? Uh, uh, Shadow the first Games book of the South? The fourth. Yeah. Oh. But, uh, yeah, it, I, I, I do not know why Tor put it sixth in the, in the thing. But, but the, the Silver Spike properly wraps up the books of the North, so we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to get our closure for that, and then uh, you know, we're going to move on to other things before returning to the books of the South in a few months time it's so uh, I, it's so odd how the silver spike is fourth in our read fifth in the chronological order and sixth in the public or in, in publishing order and sixth in the tour yeah it, i mean like, if you if you collection. go on reddit or or you know any black company forum and ask for a reading order everybody's going to tell you read it fourth it it, it makes right. much more sense there cool um so uh yeah as always, you know, check us out on Patreon if you want to support the podcast. Uh, help us, you know, pay Pat and pay Danny for their hard work. All of our Patreon, uh, you know, donations go straight into their pockets. We're not out here trying to, you know, quit our day jobs developing Inking Out Loud. So uh, <laughs> check us out there. We got a bunch of awesome, you know, exclusive content. That is patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. As always, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. No wow. Classy. Uh, and our, <laughs> I was I'm so tired of going, hey, at the end. And our special guest, Jared Livingston. Yay. <laughs> yeah, they can all see that fist pump, Jared. <laughs> Did he? I don't have the webcam open right now, so I just heard, I just heard two seconds of dead air and, hey. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you guys. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>